Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast, the podcast where we discuss all the non-technical things, the everything else in software development. I'm your host, Dave Smith. No, I'm your host, Jameson Dance. And now we shall fight to the death. <laughs> uh, it's hard over Skype. <laughs> um, Who can send the, the most horrifying Skype emoji? <laughs> They're those all things, like, they're all those things terrify bad. me. <laughs> <laughs> they really do. The animation is like too good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's uncanny valley. <laughs> oh, Skype, we love you. Yep. Uh, great. So, uh, what's going on in our world, Jameson? You just got back from a foreign country. Yeah, I was in uh, in Oslo for Web Rebels, which was um, maybe the best conference I've ever been to. It was Whoa. it was amazing. Like the quality of the speakers and talks was was really high i was i was kind of blown away and so, you're you're only sort of tooting your own horn since you were one of said speakers no i don't include myself in <laughs> in that assessment uh yeah i spoke about elm uh and then i got to sit and listen to lots of smart people talk about lots of great stuff so cool i can't wait to get caught up on those yeah yeah they were really good so uh i think we have a couple of questions from some of our beloved listeners today mm-hmm. would you like to kick us off with our first one I would love to. Since I am primarily a web developer, I often find there's a bit of developer prejudice against web developers from software engineers in other categories. Often I find they think I am not capable of anything other than jQuery DOM manipulations and talk down to me like I wouldn't understand their expertly set up MySQL queries. As it turns out, I too have my CS degree and start new kinds of projects uh, and programming languages just to learn them. Any tips for breaking the web dev stereotypes? I like how... He used MySQL as like the <laughs> the expert <laughs> source of the prejudice. Yeah. I'm a masterful MySQL query author. Um, <laughs> I think you have to defeat them in a test, in, in a feat of strength, which is like who can invert <laughs> the binary tree the fastest. And then Wh- you, whiteboard's ready. <laughs> yes. And then you cow them and then they accept your authority. Uh <laughs> I think this is a great question, especially because there are so many people from... So this person cites their CS degree. There are tons of people without CS degrees. And a lot of them, from from me talking to them, a lot of them have this kind of fear that like someone will discover they're not real programmers because they don't understand some arcane CS mm-hmm. concept. And, and even if people aren't explicitly kind of looking down on them, they, they just feel like that themselves. So I think this... This applies in this situation, but it also applies to just people who have maybe non-traditional backgrounds. Hey, so before you change the background color of that button, are you serious that you don't know what the pumping lemma is? <laughs> uh, I can't even believe they hired you here. <laughs> I have also seen this prejudice uh, actually both in others and myself. Yeah, um, so full disclosure, Jameis and I are both in the web development world right now, and mm-hmm. uh, but I wasn't always so. About four years ago, I came into this area of the development world. I came from a C++ background, uh, a place where I considered myself to be pretty hardcore, you know? And, and we used to use terms like, well, that developer's not classically trained. <laughs> <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? I actually heard that phrase. It was only half joking, I think. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh, uh, what nerds. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have seen, I have heard things like, well, you know, in C++, we have a linker command, but in JavaScript, they just use the cat command. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So this is a real thing, I think, is what you're saying, that that there mm -hmm. are definitely people who feel this way, that like either the closer to the CPU you are, the closer to assembly you are, mm -hmm. or um, I, I think there's also people that feel this way about like their preferred esoteric programming language paradigm. Like if you're not functional, you're not, oh, yeah. you're not yeah. anything. And then they just talk about monads until you die. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, this this is a real thing. I I have I don't like it. I guess that sounds dumb, <laughs> but um I don't think you you get to look down on people just because your tools suck. Like if you are a hardcore <laughs> C dev or whatever and then you 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 have to like it is kind of hard. There's all these horrible gotchas you have to know about how the like the physical computer actually works or some weird little arcane uh, like, I don't know, edge cases in your system, that doesn't make you better <laughs> than someone who uses a tool that that protects them from those things. Like, mm -hmm. they probably get a lot more done than you, honestly, <laughs> because they don't have to worry about, like, uh, on the x86 architecture on Tuesday, a one is actually a zero the thousandth <laughs> time through this loop. Like, I, I don't know. I... So some of it is just like, yeah, you, you write in languages that suck more. <laughs> and, and yet I do have a certain degree of envy for people, for example, who work on the Linux kernel. Like, I don't know why, but I just think, wow, those developers are heroes. Like they're going to walk through some doors in slow motion, like like in <laughs> Armageddon or something, and like <laughs> yeah. carrying their pocket protectors or as whatever. They, as they write their block device. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I do have envy for that kind of developer. I just think, I don't know. I think they're hardcore air quotes. And yeah. Th that's something I think of a lot. So maybe the prejudice exists in both ways. It's like, I not only think that, you know, jQuery script kitties are not hardcore, but I also have like anti-prejudice for people who work in more challenging environments than I do. So the, the real thing you can do is you probably get paid the same amount as this air quotes, hardcore developer. So you mm -hmm. can just pull out your paycheck and shout scoreboard <laughs> and say, if, if their argument is like, I work so much harder and my job is way more difficult. You can be like, well, sucks for you. Cause I do easy stuff and make as much or more than you do. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I will actually back that up. I think generally speaking at the companies I've worked for, the engineers who are working on say, you know, front-end web dev versus like back-end uh, tend to make about the same amount of money. So um, I don't think, I really don't think that the economics justify the prejudice. Yeah, I think building good and responsive user interfaces that are easy to maintain and work on is an incredibly difficult skill. And uh, let's see, how, how do I say this? Probably the closer someone is to the, the back-end I, I think the trend is they will probably care less about user experience. Oh, okay. So maybe some of it is um, the things that people are that do front end web development are, are skilled at. They just don't they don't appreciate maybe. Yeah, like they, yeah. They don't care if they have to click through like fifteen screens or, or the UI is just like a checkbox for every column in the <laughs> <Yeah>. database schema <laughs> it's a one -to -one or something. Mapping of your database. Yeah, it's like that. That doesn't bother them but but uh people besides them care a lot about that stuff so maybe maybe it's kind of a lack of appreciation for yeah. what makes a good product so are you saying jameson that this might just be so ingrained that there's nothing we can do to fix it 
no, I mean, the scoreboard thing, I think we'll fix it. <laughs> I already gave my answer. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think earlier when we were talking about this, you mentioned respect, and I think you have. I, I want to hear your oh, thoughts yeah. on that. Yeah, so there are really two kinds of respect, and uh, what we're talking about here is the second kind. The first kind is basic respect for other human beings, which means treating them with dignity regardless of who they are, what they are, what they believe. The second kind of respect is respect for someone's authority, and generally that respect is earned. The first kind of respect, I think, should be given to all human beings regardless of any circumstance. But the second kind of respect is the kind that's earned, and I think what we're talking about here is a lack of that kind of respect for the industry that we're talking about. So hopefully we're not talking about the first kind, because if someone is falling into the first kind, that's just totally out of line, just completely, uh, what's the word, out of line right and and completely bad but the other one uh, that respect has to be earned and um a lot of times there's nothing you can do to uh force someone to have that kind of respect for you and if you try really hard like i'm gonna make sure they respect me um that's like (laughs) that's like the worst way (laughs) to to get that kind of respect yeah awkward teenage comedies have taught us that that won't won't work (laughs) yeah um while you were talking, it made me think of, of there have definitely, I've talked about this before, but there have definitely been times in the past where I have not appreciated people who aren't developers as much as, mm-hmm. as I should. And I had this same hierarchy thing, except it wasn't like what kind of de- development you do. It was like, are you a developer or are you like overhead, you know? Oh, yeah. You're either, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're either writing code or you're slowing us down. Yeah, that's and right. Like, <laughs> and, and that changed as I got older and, and more mature and um, I think the the key is that uh, people can be good at their job, whatever their job is, and and recognizing that skill and, and the value that everyone has is is pretty important. And to, like you said, you can't force that on someone to some extent. You can do that yourself, and maybe maybe this experience will help you avoid uh, treating someone the way that this person is treating you in the future. Um, just one, one little like tactic you might use though, is just pair programming. Like if, mm-hmm. if your relationship is, is good enough that you could program together, um, if it's, if it's horrible, this might not work out super well, but, uh, I think you would both learn things from each other. You would maybe get a better understanding of kind of the, the backend, like air quotes, hardcore stuff they do. And then this other developer might appreciate the, the trade-offs and the decisions that you have to make as a web yep. developer and what makes that hard and what, what makes you good at it, I guess. So you're saying it's a good way to give them empathy. Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't force someone to have empathy, but but you can force someone to work with you. <laughs> and then hopefully that leads to empathy unless they're a monster. <laughs> yeah. One of the uh, one of the ways that we have inadvertently helped to mitigate this problem at my company is we encourage uh, rotations, which is where a developer will change the functional role that they participate in every six months to a year, or sometimes longer. Uh, for example, we have people who are on the back end for a year or two. Um, they'll they usually volunteer to do this, but they'll move to the front end. And be like, I'm going to get exposed to front end for a while. We had a, we're going to have a, a back end engineer move to mobile. Yeah, you yeah. make it sound like it's radiation. <laughs> going to get, going to get my dose of, <laughs> my dose of front of end, front end <laughs> till the badge turns red. Yeah. <laughs> um, and by having people rotate, I think you get a lot of benefit because suddenly those other people's problems are your problems. And even when you move out of that role, you have, you still have that leftover empathy, I think from oh, yeah. having to deal with those. Yep. I want to say one more thing, which is I think I've been 
I think some of this could come from a place of jealousy. I have been on teams where I have been kind of the backend developer and all my work is, is uh, it feels kind of like laying the ground for other people. So I'm like working away, working really hard to make good APIs and make stuff scale and all that. And then there's, there's a, a UI developer, either kind of native or mobile, or sorry, native mobile or, or web or something. And they put in like a cool animation that makes something flip around from some library that they downloaded. Ooh, and then the ah. whole company just like freaks out and loses their mind. Like, that's the <laughs> coolest thing I've ever seen. And, and I have felt unappreciated in that moment. Like this person spent two hours plugging this library in to make something flip. And I've been working for weeks to like support the query to give them the data that they need to put on the backside <laughs> of that flippy thing. Yeah, and but they, they get like applause and, and I get nothing. So yeah, but, like, did your REST API flip even once? <laughs> I mean, come on. It will. <laughs> it will soon. So some of it is the, the closer you are to the front end, the, the easier it is to get validation and recognition from non-developers. Good point. Um, and, and that can feel really good. And it can sometimes feel bad if you don't get that, especially if you work in an organization that uh, is, is made up of more non-developers. So you, you don't have people to kind of slap you on the back when you do good work. Yep, very true. Um, so maybe you could help by by appreciating the work the other people do as oh, well. Oh, good point, good point. Thank you. Yeah, and then the other thing I would say is next time you have a really nasty Z-index problem, just call over one of the back-end developers and have them try to help you figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then pull up that Firefox 3D visualization thing that makes people <laughs> think, you're, think you're more hardcore than you are. But tell them you made it just now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just, this is something I threw together really quick. Like, why does this say Mozilla? Ignore that. <laughs> cool. I think we answered that question. Yeah, this is a, this is definitely a hard one. So I, you know, I don't think that there's any one silver bullet for this. This is, I mean, this is another reason why working with people who are good with people is great. Because even if people mm-hmm. feel this way, if you can talk about it openly and and have empathy with each other, then you can you can solve hard problems like this. Right on. Cool. Should we do the next question? Let's do it. This is another one from a listener that says, how do I deal with legacy code and legacy coders? The code was probably good once, but it is impossible to maintain and doesn't work on new hardware. You know the best approach is to just to scrap it and start from scratch, but the original coder is resistant and wants to find a better way to make it work. What do you do? In my situation, this coder is my peer and the only person above us doesn't want to take a side on the argument. So we are left at a stalemate. Oh, I didn't notice this when we were looking at it before. The thing about hardware, it I'm going to guess this is probably a mobile app and hmm. probably some Android thing. Uh, and, and it just uses some old deprecated APIs, maybe. It could be. Yeah, it could be. I didn't, I didn't notice that wrinkle before. So hmm. the question is, do you rewrite it or do you like try to put in place some wonky abstractions to work with old APIs or something? Yeah, that's... Uh, that's an interesting wrinkle. This changes everything. <laughs> um, so first of all, I want to talk about some assumptions that I think that the question asker is making. Um, one is that the best approach is to scrap it and start from scratch. And the other one is that uh, the original coder is, well, I guess this isn't an assumption. Never mind. The one assumption that the best approach is to start from scratch. I I think that is often not 
the best approach, especially if something is in production and has users and it's working. There's an enormous amount of institutional knowledge in that code, um, which is hard to replicate in a new system without running into the same problems or different problems that they have avoided. Uh, so, so starting from scratch is scary to me mm -hmm. because you throw away everything that you've learned and, and you start a new project and new projects fail all the time and they overshoot their deadlines and like just taking on a lot of risk for, for something that I don't see as a lot of reward often. Let's, let's talk about that for a minute. I think when you say let's throw it out and start from scratch, unless you have gone through the rigorous list of all the stuff that this code does and at least written it all down. Um, I don't think that you have fully appreciated how hard it will be um, until you do that. And sometimes when you get down that list, you know, you think the list is, well, it's like a dozen things this code does, you know, and then you get into the rewrite and suddenly you realize, no, it's more like a hundred or 500. You know, that has literally happened to me. And, um, and saying, let's throw it out uh, and rewrite it oftentimes comes from a position of not actually fully appreciating just how much this code does. Yes. I, uh, let's see. It, it's also possible that this rewrite is more of like a product driven thing where maybe the direction of the product has changed a lot. And that seems mm -hmm. like a better candidate for a rewrite. Um, a, another thing that might be going on that's happened to me is I bet that the legacy coder in air quotes feels pretty defensive. I, I, I bet that they helped write this system. Oh, and yeah. when people talk about how broken and horrible and unscalable and just like it's not even worth saving, uh, I bet they feel really defensive because they helped create it. Um, I Yeah, like I said, that's happened to me before. I've, I've written things that were just hacked together and really quick and dirty, and then we had to work and maintain them over time. Uh, and And it's really hard to disentangle your personal feelings from the thing that you have created. Mm -hmm. Like, software is awesome because you make stuff but then sometimes people tell you that the stuff you made sucks <laughs> so that probably doesn't help the 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 attempt to come to an agreement about what to do with the code um that they probably feel kind of attacked and they can and it, yeah they can yeah so uh, i don't know what to do about that besides just recognize that that might be a thing that's occurring and and you might say like, well, it's, it's just code. Like people need to disentangle their personal feelings from code and, and think about it kind of rationally. And they do, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that is don't. harder to do <laughs> than it is to say to do. Yes, it is. But it, it is a very good thing to do yourself. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that for a minute. So how do you show someone who wrote the original code that it is hard to maintain for you and others? And I think one way to do that is to bite off a small piece of the code that needs to be rewritten, just maybe not because it, it, it's just bad, but because there's a new product requirement and it needs to be rewritten naturally. Mm -hmm. um, and try using this new technology or this new thing that you want to use and uh, let the other developer work in that technology. And if it really is better, like you think, then it should become obvious to them that it is and help them to see it firsthand rather than shoving it down their throat. Sure. I, I think you identified a solution there, which is that you you bite off a chunk of it. Um, I think it's often less risky to rewrite something 
than it is to start from scratch. And that allows you to work in pieces over time. And, and sometimes the working by pieces will involve more work than it would have if you just started from scratch. But you get to yes. maintain the the product. You get to make sure it's working. You don't have to deal with like stopping work on your existing product or doing parallel teams where you have to build a new product but also keep up with the features that are getting added to the old one. And um, so, so it's harder, but I think it's less risky to the business. It can be. So I think this is a good time to share a couple stories from other companies that we've heard about. Um, do you think so? Yes. So I use a service at work called Pivotal Tracker. Probably a lot of our listeners do. And uh, about three, four years ago, they decided to embark on a complete rewrite of their front end. And I think they actually made a whole new API as well. And what this meant for users like me was that we got no new features for literally a year. And they had some major problems. They had some really slow page load times, like 30 to 60 seconds for some other stuff. It was super bad for large projects like mine. And then after a year, they rewrote it all and they released this new beta UI with this new API. And it was different and it was a little little bit better, but not a lot better. And then over time, over the next several years, they started doing feature after feature after feature and the UI got faster and faster. And it was like a whole new product um, because they took the time to just completely shut down new product feature development and rewrite. So that's a case where it actually worked, but the company mm-hmm. was willing to shut down new feature development for literally a full year. Yeah. Um, while you were talking, I actually remembered a time a few years ago that we rewrote um, like a pretty major chunk of our internal system. Um, it was this large data import that had to consume this gigantic uh, batch of XML files and kind of like parse them all and, and stick them in a database. And it was um, pretty buggy, but it worked. But there, there were just issues where it would sometimes not make relations properly or it would like silently not import some of the data. And, and it was kind of old and the people that had written it didn't really, um, they weren't around anymore. So it was, it was intimidating to work on. And we actually did rewrite it. Uh, we didn't throw away the existing one, though. We kind of used it to check our work. Um, and, and that ended up working. The new system was faster and it was easier to maintain uh, because of some choices we made around, around testing and, and tooling and uh, languages that we picked. Um, so I did actually have a story about how it did work to rewrite. I forgot about that. Cool. Um, but I also have a story where it didn't work. So Netscape, back in the day, uh, they were rushing to release their software to avoid Microsoft from killing them, basically. Um, they were trying to, to release a browser and release updates to it because they knew that Microsoft was working on a browser and they were going to bundle it with their operating system and it was going to just destroy them. So they cranked out under insane deadline pressure some pretty horrible code uh, that worked and got to market and got users and users enjoyed it, even though it, it did have some technical issues. And then they were successful, made a big company, uh, and they went to rewrite it. They hired a bunch of people. They brought in some, I think they acquired some companies and some consultants and stuff. And they had like the big rewrite to fix all the architectural problems. And they just never finished. And and the company died and part of it was because of that there were some other issues too but but it just took them so long to release the next version of their browser 
Um, and and JWZ is a famous developer there that was there in the early days and there during the rewrite. And he blames it pretty mm-hmm. much on on the rewrite that they they took too long. They started over and they lost all the market position that they had because of it. Oh, um, man. <laughs> so maybe sometimes it's bad. <laughs> so, Jameson, you know there's really only two kinds of startups, right? Uh, Sure. What What are they? <laughs> those that fail and those that are embarrassed of their code. That is so true. <laughs> um, I, I know Ryan Florence talks about that a lot. That yeah. Um, he. That's all I have to say about that. Okay, <laughs> you freaking name dropper. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I was uh, on my yacht with him, <laughs> sipping the caviar. So you drink speaking, caviar, right? Isn't that how you consume it? <laughs> Through a very small straw. <laughs> okay, good. Speaking of Ryan Florence, he gave a great talk at React Conference. Oh, was it React Conference? Anyway, it was about porting your front-end web application to React. And he talked about how like a sane approach to doing that piece by piece from the bottom up, as opposed to like, let's just throw it all out and rewrite it. Because I think generally speaking, that is a better approach. It, it yields more value to your company and to your team than to do the clean slate start over thing. Yeah, I, I have some inside information on the product he's talking about, though. Um, it's not that inside because it's open source. But they they have attempted that with several different technologies over the years, and their mm-hmm. product is gigantic. Um, mm-hmm. And the end result is there are now these, there, there are several layers of different javascript frameworks and and architecture paradigms and stuff so uh the rewrite and pieces thing is great if you can be consistent and commit to it but the danger is you end up with just little islands of like someone's cool Mm -hmm. technology that they thought was going to save the day Mm -hmm. or halfway through the rewrite you start another rewrite (laughs) yeah which is before (laughs) that that happened in this product too um yeah, there, man, there are all kinds of trade-offs. I know I was soundly against rewriting, and then uh, we told three stories, two of which the rewrite worked well. <laughs> uh, but still, it's scary, and, and you should see if there's a way to do it incrementally. The, the risk is much lower. So I think in the situation specifically described by this listener, we have three parties involved. We have the listener who wants to rewrite from scratch. We have the so-called legacy coder who wants to hang on to the old code base. And we have some kind of lead in a lead role who's unwilling to make a decision. And I think that um, a really responsible thing to do in this situation would be to get a meeting with all three of you together and say, look, I am having a hard time working on this product. For, and lay out your reasons. Like, hopefully you have concrete reasons for this, and it's not just, well, I didn't write it, so I don't like it. And lay it out, and then look to your lead and say, help us navigate this and mediate this conversation and help us figure out a way so that all of our needs can be met. It is your lead's job to um, break ties and to help moderate these kinds of discussions. And so if they refuse to do that, they're really not doing their job, in my opinion. Hmm. And um, I, I think you owe it to your team to sit down responsibly and say, let's talk through this together. And, and also try to understand the person that you're calling a legacy coder, because it sounds like maybe by putting that label on them, you're not really giving them uh, an, a lot of empathy. It sounds like maybe you don't fully understand where they're coming from. Sure. So to sum it up. Oh, and then if you don't like the outcome, quit, right? That's <laughs> Yeah. If you don't like the outcome, go get a different job. Um, yep. I, I hate, by the way, I kind of hate that we say that because it's such a cop out and it only works because circumstances right now are so good for employees, but you know. <laughs> yep. But hey, enjoy it. 
enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> <laughs> Ride that wave. Yep. Um, so Tough this, situation. Yeah. Do you want to summarize what we talked about? So I think that um, there's obviously two major paths you could take. You could do the rewrite from a blank slate, in which case you make better make sure you fully understand what you're getting into. Um, and there's a lot of risk that that brings with it. And then there's the other approach of um, rewriting pieces piece by piece, which carries with it its own trade-offs. And uh, I think both approaches are equally likely to fail if poorly managed and are almost guaranteed to fail if the team isn't on board fully with the idea. And so I think you need to get a consensus before you proceed. Hmm. I like that. That, um, yeah, that, that feels right to me, that the determining factor over whether this succeeds or not is a lot more based on the team than, than the approach. Although it, I think it is overall less risky to rewrite incrementally because you at all points hopefully have a working product still. Yeah. And yeah, there's no danger of like people changing their minds suddenly and then you're just left with this failed project that doesn't, it's not done. Cool. Question answered. Question answered. These were tough ones today. They I really these are. Ones. Like these are the kind of conversation I wish I could have with the person in real time and ask them like a thousand questions about their circumstance. Yeah. But now you don't have to because you can just point them to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> where wisdom descends from the heavens. Like do. Yep. Well, uh, sorry if we completely failed you. And as always, if you get fired by taking our advice, <laughs> you should have never taken our advice. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Cool. Well, uh, where can on, on that note, the bright, happy, optimistic note, where can people find out more about us, Dave? Check us out on Twitter. Our handle is at softskillseng. You can be notified about new episodes and you can ask us questions that way. If you want to post a question on Twitter, do that. Or if you don't like being limited to, what is it, 140 characters or something, you can send us... <laughs> that's right. They're changing that, aren't they? Um, you can send us a direct message using the Twitter direct message feature, which is how we got both of these questions today and we will add them to our backlog. Mm -hmm. And if you enjoy the show, uh, just tweet about it would be amazing rating mm -hmm. it on itunes would also help us out a lot it would help more people find it we'd appreciate that yeah great thank you for listening and we will talk to you next week see ya <laughs>